Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. We are recording this on May 19th, 2021. We are really fortunate today to have our own Owen Michael stepping in because Our guest, who was originally scheduled, had a crime emergency that literally took place a few minutes ago. Owen, thank you so much for stepping in. We so appreciate it. It's my pleasure. We're all uh, living with life dynamics. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And of course, you know, our guests are really at the forefront of crime. So when a crime happens, our defense attorneys get called. That's right. We've got some crazy cases this week, which I know, Owen, you're familiar with because of all the social media and the website updates you've been doing. So we appreciate your insight on this. Here are the cases we're looking at. We have the trial of the missing Iowa jogger, Molly Tibbetts. It has just started. Owen, you said it was uh, opening arguments have already begun. Opening statements. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Terrific. Just began this morning. All right. So the prosecutor has warned the jurors that there's going to be a lot of graphic evidence that will be shown. So we're going to talk about that case. But first, the father who pleaded for his five-week-old son's life on national television has been accused of killing that baby. We go to Montgomery, Alabama for this first case. Literally hours after the father makes this public plea to have his baby returned, the baby is found dead, and then the father is arrested. So let's go back and do this chronologically, because I always feel, Owen, that when we look at a case from the very beginning, the red flags start to emerge and the inconsistencies emerge immediately. So the baby, this is baby CJ, who was only five weeks old, was first reported missing on Monday night of May 10th. The baby's father, 32-year-old Caleb Wisnand went to the Circle K convenience store and from there he calls 911 and says his son has been abducted. The baby was in the car and now he's not in the car. So, Owen, what's weird about this is, and there are a lot of inconsistencies, generally at convenience stores, you have a massive amount of surveillance cameras, right? True. Right. And police said from the very beginning, There were a lot of problems with this version of what happened to the baby. They said that when they started to question 
the father more. And then they started questioning the mother, 28-year-old Angela Gardner, that neither one of them could specifically, concretely say when they last saw the baby. There, there, the stories were the mom said she last saw the baby on Saturday. They were all together on Saturday. So, Owen, that would make me ask, so what happened between Saturday and Monday when the police get called? Uh, good question. And by the way, wasn't that Mother's Day on uh, Sunday, the day in between, which uh, is neither here nor there, but uh, that also you know, is obviously part of the investigation. The other uh, thing I thought was interesting was that the uh, Alabama law enforcement agency, they took the report, but they couldn't issue a Amber alert because they didn't have any information about this supposed abduction. They didn't have any uh, uh, suspect description. There was no suspect vehicle listed or whatever. And as you say, at a Circle K, you would think that there would be a lot of camera angles to investigate. Obviously, we're waiting on more uh, police investigation here. But uh, yeah, it already started off with this sort of gray area of when the kid actually went missing. Um, the mom is sort of vague on this. And as we now know, the, the father is uh, under suspicion. Absolutely. I, I think what to me is the most fascinating part of this, and we're going to play this clip now, is that so the baby is reported missing on Monday, but we think the baby probably hasn't been seen since Saturday. And by Wednesday, the couple... The parents, the young parents, are um, just, they, they go in front of the cameras and they make what we see all the time is a plea for the public to come forward and help if you know anything about the baby's disappearance. And what is so interesting about this is that I wonder, and we're going to talk about it after we play the clip, I wonder if the police were almost setting them up in a way to see what details they would or would not provide because by this point the police i don't believe believe these two at all so let's let's play the clip and, and i i do believe that they are emotional they look very upset but it's a very short clip here it is she's not good with cameras so i apologize but we would just like for anybody that has any information i don't remember a lot but I did remember I was breaking up, you know, with the cops. But I know that if, if, if anybody's got anything, any, any places that I could have gone, anybody, you know who you are. Please, find him, please. Please. It mean a lot. It mean everything to us. So I think from the clip, we can tell that the parents are clearly dazed. They're confused, they're emotional, but they don't offer a lot of details. And, and the plea, that part, the, the least emotional part yeah. of their, I'm not going to say performance, but of their um, plea was the plea itself. There wasn't much, right? Yeah. And uh, look, I'm not a body, uh, a body language expert. Um, I would leave that to, to other people to opine on, but I was not struck by the authenticity of, uh, the father in particular here. It seems to me that if my five week old son, I mean, my five week old child, uh, is missing, I would be freaking out. Um, I know people handle grief differently and I'm not trying to, uh, blame these people whatsoever, but, um, I think I think I would be a quite a bit more frantic than this, and I would be, you know, spewing a lot of. Uh, I would be very verbose with uh, all the details surrounding it, you know, 
he claims that uh, the father Caleb claims that he kind of was out of it and doesn't remember a lot of details and whatever. But um, it seems like if you're going to go, even if you're nervous, you know, do you want to find this kid or not? You really got to put some information out there. Like I said, I, I don't mean to uh, judge them solely on the, the physical uh, situation here because um, grief affects people, but uh, it seems like they weren't particularly enthusiastic or prepared in the way that I would expect. Um, I, I was not wowed by their, uh, by their press conference. Uh, again, we sort of nationally kind of gotten used to public public press conferences and things like this from parents or from, uh, you know, people, as we talked about last week, Barry Morphew in the case of Suzanne Morphew, his wife mm -hmm. that went missing, he went on, uh, he went and made public pleas and that kind of stuff. Um, he later turned out to be a suspect and got arrested, uh, recently on that. He's innocent until proven guilty, but, um, the, the, the format, offers a lot for people to analyze and you know maybe we're all overanalyzing a little too much but uh i was it was very i had a lot of questions when i watched this uh this press conference and this uh, public plea yeah and i know later on we're going to discuss some of those comments of people's reaction in real time because yeah yeah and i it what is the most difficult to understand is when the father says i really don't remember it's like what kind of an answer is that you, when something truly traumatic happens, you know exactly where you are and what you are doing at that very moment, and you backtrack in your brain. So that, to me, is the, the, the weakest part of his description. So just literally a few hours after the parents make that plea, the baby is found, and then the father is charged with manslaughter. The charge was later upgraded to capital murder after the autopsy determined that the baby had been hit in the head. So baby CJ was only five weeks old when he died. He was killed between 3.45 in the afternoon and just before 10.49 p.m. They gave the window really between Saturday and Monday mm -hmm. because that was the best that anyone could come up with based on when he was last seen and the condition of the baby the autopsy said that he was hit in the head the cause of death was blunt force trauma who does this to a baby whoever did this you know i, I realize he is innocent until proven guilty the father is but who who harms a baby who can't even like lift a, an arm you know i i just i i can't now the mother's side the mother's side of the family has put out a bunch of information by talking to AL.com in Alabama. And this is, for whatever it is, whatever you think this gives you as far as background on the story, Angela's mother, so that's the baby's gram grandmother, told AL.com that Caleb took the baby Saturday night out of spite so that Angela couldn't be with him on Mother's Day, and that the mother, and then Angela Gardner, the mother, she has not been charged, but the sheriff's investigators say they're still following leads, so we don't know if anyone else will be charged with this. It's only the dad. Now, here's more on the dad that I think is, is important. You know how he says, I don't remember? 
Well, I think that there's a little pattern here if we look at his criminal history. At the time of the dad's arrest, he was already under indictment on unrelated charges of meth and heroin possession. And they, they of course, revoked the bond on those charges. But what's really interesting on that is that, according to police reports, when Caleb ran his truck off the road and cops found him, he said, this is what Caleb told the cops, he said, oh, I was on meth, I hadn't slept in three days. So here, here's someone who was told the police before, oh, I have like this, this blank period of time that seems to happen in my life if ever I'm on drugs. Now, we are not at all um, suggesting that Caleb was on drugs when this happened. We have no idea. Authorities haven't said anything about it. But that might explain why his memory is missing. Yeah, uh, drugs are bad and meth, uh, you know, demonstrably will really mess you up. Um, and it's not sort of a casual, uh, from everything that I, you know, have reported on and, and just living on uh, planet Earth for the past uh, 20 years or so, it's... Um, it's not a like a recreational thing. If you're kind of using meth, you're uh, probably using meth often. Yeah. So uh, I think that there's going to be more here. I, I think if there is the potential of drugs, that that might actually explain the missing uh, although, information. Anna, you know, the, the as you said, the, the child is found specifically they haven't given too many details about it but they said uh, he was found in uh, Lowndes County in a remote area and the baby was found uh buried in a wooded area so um you, you know take from that what you will but there's uh there's an act this isn't just sort of like you know forgive the callousness but tossing a, a child out into the river or something like that this is you know forethought of like um whoever this suspect uh whoever the, the perpetrator is here took time to conceal the evidence and, you know, uh, try to conceal it as much as possible. It's unclear how the, uh, how the child was found this, you know, if this child was buried in remote woods somewhere, whether somebody tipped them off or whether, uh, the suspect confessed to themselves. Obviously we don't know until law enforcement, uh, updates us on this, but, um, that extra factor is particularly grim and, 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 I think all of our opinions. Yeah. Uh, and again, I tend to say that there isn't an awful lot of coincidence when it comes to crime. So just look at the timing of all of the events that happened on Wednesday. Parents do this press conference, news conference, knowing what we know now that the authorities never believe their story. And bam, within hours, they announce the baby's been found and the father's been arrested. Mm -hmm. So either that was coordinated on the police department's part in order to see what mm -hmm. their potential suspects sure. were saying it's it just put them on the spot exactly exactly so um caleb wisenand is being held without bond in the montgomery county detention center and we will be watching this case to see what more information emerges now over to Iowa, where the trial of a man accused of fatally stabbing a 20-year-old University of Iowa student, Molly Tibbetts, this happened three years ago, well, the case has finally gone to court. So what happened today in court? 
So this morning, uh, opening statements began uh, from prosecutors uh, in the case of the murder of Molly Tibbetts, 20-year-old college student who was a uh, uh, home in Iowa, in Brooklyn, Iowa, which is a kind of a rural area. She went out for a jog in 2018 and went missing. Uh, her body was later found after a suspect was arrested. Uh, that suspect is now on trial in uh, the trial's proceeding this morning. Let's go back to this case and what happened, because this was, even though it was three years ago, this was the kind of case that got a lot of national attention. You have a young woman who goes out for a run in a very safe area and never comes back. And that's when, you know, it made national headlines and you have people out searching for her and you have posters everywhere. The FBI got involved and it took a month to not only make an arrest, but to also find Molly's body. So let's look at the background of the case. So it was July 18th of 2018 when she went for that evening run. I have to tell you, Owen, I've covered so many cases where women have disappeared and or been murdered because they went on a run, whether in the morning or in the evening. Coast to coast. Oh my gosh, it scares the living daylights out of me every time I see a woman running you know, by herself in an area that's... You know, we did a we did a, a whole series of that back when it was Crime Watch Daily um, with Karina Vetrano. We did we had a series of them. There was a, a woman in Michigan who went missing and was later found murdered uh, after running on a country road. You know, uh, some of this is Long Island, some of this is uh, you know upstate Michigan, some of this is out in Iowa. Um, it, it's uh, it's a little scary. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's there's definitely a pattern there. It what it is is it presents an opportunity. It presents an opportunity, especially if you are in an isolated area. Believe me, I'm not telling anyone not to go running because Lord knows I can't, you know, run run more than five feet myself. But um, it's just something that we see over and over again. So uh, Molly had been watching the dogs at her boyfriend's house. He was away. Uh, she did not show up for work the next morning. She worked at a daycare center and her mother called the police and said, my daughter never came we don't know where she is, right? And that's when they start backtracking everything. So when the FBI got involved, they started looking at all sorts of data. She wore a Fitbit when she ran. So they were trying to analyze where she was getting um, some, you know, mapping from that and anything else and surveillance cameras in the area trying to figure out what happened to Molly. And again, it took almost a month to get to the bottom of it. So police end up questioning 26-year-old Christian Bahena Rivera. He allegedly told police that he followed Molly in his car as she jogged, and then he got out and started running next to her and according to his alleged confession he admitted that as he's running alongside her this is what he said it's his version that molly grabbed her phone and threatened to call police which is interesting again because that means that she would have had both her phone and a fitbit for tracking purposes sure and she's clearly being harassed by some random uh person who decided to pull up and talk to her which i'm sure lots of our uh, viewers and listeners and, and readers um 
can attest to. So that's pretty scary. And, you know, what else can you do? She has a Fitbit on and she's got a phone with her. Uh, you're feeling pretty safe. We should say they didn't actually find her body until this guy essentially confessed and led them to her. So uh, even with the, the best precautions here, it, uh, it, it, unfortunately, this happened. Yeah. You know, something happened to me a few weeks ago. I was just out walking the dog and this person, this guy pulls up next to me. And um, usually, you know, someone's asking for directions or whatever. And I never would ever get closer to a car or by any means ever lean in. So mm -hmm. I always keep my distance. Right. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, hey, can I talk to you? Can I can I like almost saying, can I show you something? And I'm like. No. Your alarm bells are going off. I'm like, do you really want me to move close to your car? Are you out of your mind? There were some walkers and joggers around me. And mm -hmm. then he does the same thing to them. Turns out he was trying to give out, um, I guess he's a handyman or something like that. And he was trying to give out cards and stuff. But there are a million easier ways to do that. If indeed that was even legitimate, right? Who knows? Right. Can you imagine? Right. It's it's Oh, it's it's a dangerous world out there, and you know I, I would never want anybody to be paranoid or anything like that. But uh, as you know, we cover with the dozens of cases that we do every week and, and every month. Uh, you have to be situationally aware, and um, you know a healthy suspicion just in general, or at least an extreme awareness when you're out in public. It's unfortunately a fact of life, even in you know from. Uh, metropolitan Los Angeles out to rural Iowa and everywhere in between. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate fact of life these days. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you, you just have to be suspicious and on guard. So here is what he Christian allegedly told police. And we're really going to get into this because there's a lot of debate, legal debate over statements that he allegedly made to police and if they can be used against him. So Christian said, according to charging documents, he said, quote, that he panicked, got mad, and, and he blocked his memory. He went on to say that when he gets angry, that's what happens. He loses his memory. Um, kind of odd. Christian then told investigators that when he came to an intersection, that's when he came to all of a sudden. And started and saw that there was an earpiece on his lap because Molly was running and had, um, you know, her headphones in. So somehow that jogs his memory. And then he drives to a cornfield and that's when he realizes, oh yeah, there's a woman in the trunk of the car. This is allegedly what he told the authorities. Sure. He opens up the trunk according to these documents and saw that Molly had blood on the side of her head. Again, police claim that he said that he dragged her into a field, um, you know, they carried her over his shoulder, put her deep in the field, and then took the corn stalks and used it to cover her. Okay, so she, and this happened 10 miles from where she was jogging. So that gives you an idea. And if you've ever driven through Iowa, as I have many times for Crime Watch Daily, you get to one of these cornfields, you can't see anything more than a foot. It's hard to uh, keep your bearings, even if you could uh, see around you. There's no, uh, there's not a lot of landmarks on the landscape. It's not exactly like there's mountain ranges or whatever. I mean, there's rolling hills and things like that, but definitely you can lose your orientation uh, pretty yeah. easily in a place like that. Absolutely. So here's what ends up um, 
becoming very interesting. So police say that they do find Molly's blood, allegedly, in the trunk of Christian's car, and that the autopsy reveals that she was killed by multiple sharp force injuries. So police arrest Christian. All this is taking place over, it looks like, 24 to 48 hours that he was, and this is going to be the most interesting point, that whether he was in custody or whether he was being questioned, but he was at the police station and with authorities over this time. And as you said, he he told police where she was and then they found her. So it's there's no dispute that they found Molly. That is not under dispute. So they arrest him and bond is set very high, $5 million in this case. And when he finally does get his legal representation, his attorneys start to con- contest the confession. And they have some success in this area because now we're going to see where some of the weaknesses are in this case. And that, that is, I think, you know, always a, a very important discussion because, you know, uh, I always believe that in a court case, you hear some of the evidence. You don't always get to hear all of the evidence. So you we may know more or have more access than a jury member does because certain things are not admitted into court, which I think is going to be interesting here. By design. Yes, by design, of course. So Christian Rivera pleads pleads not guilty. And some of you may be saying, but wait a minute, if he led police to the body, but he, he pleads not guilty. Okay, now let's get to what I think could be very challenging in this case. In November of 2019, this is more than a year after Molly's murder, his attorneys asked the court to throw out his confession. And they make several claims here, his attorneys. They say, one, his English wasn't great. He's a migrant farm worker. So they claim that he didn't comprehend what was going on clearly. So that's one thing that the attorneys bring But the much bigger issue is whether his Miranda rights were read properly. It appears that parts of the Miranda rights were left out when they were first told to him. And the most crucial part that was left out was anything you say may and will be used against you in a court of law. That part was left out. And we're not just saying this because it's from his point of view. In the court hearing to determine whether this happened, the prosecution, the district attorney conceded, yes, indeed, the Miranda rights were not properly read to him the first time. And they also brought the officer who also admitted that she did not properly read the Miranda rights. Let, let, let's do a slightly you know, deeper dive on this part, Owen, because I think it's so crucial to what's happening right now in Iowa. Um, absolutely. I, I, so I have two thoughts of that. Uh, the first thing is obviously um, the people kind of go back and forth and get mad about uh, police procedure and things like that. You know, what does it matter about the Miranda rights? But, you know, this is sort of a essential uh, uh, a cornerstone of, of American jurisprudence and police procedures, et cetera. It's important. It matters. Um, I we'll see how we'll see how much that gets hung up on here. I mean, it, it, essentially, they found this guy because 
uh, home surveillance video from that night basically uh, captured Molly, or excuse me, a, a woman running in the area, and uh, apparently a, uh, a black Chevy Malibu sedan was seen uh, in the area as well, repeatedly, and it had very distinguishing markings on it, or distinguishing features on it. Uh, like the, it was kind of tricked out, if you will. It was like some some uh, chrome rims and and that kind of thing. Um, so that's what led them to inf- uh, identify this guy first of all as a potential witness, and then uh, essentially that led this down this path. Um, that particular chain of events, though, is, seems to be in question here. However, uh, prosecutors are obviously uh, confident enough in this case. They're proceeding, uh, as we know. Uh, they started their opening statements this morning, so they're confident enough to go forward with it. Right, and there is, you know, there is physical evidence there's going there is the right. the surveillance video there so is whether the you need his whether you need his his confession or not i mean uh, like i said i am not the attorney here but um i i i think that remains to be seen obviously we'll, we'll find out so what's interesting and, and i just want to finish on the miranda rights so people can understand oh, what may or may not be able to be used in court and we'll find that out over the next uh few weeks is Iowa City Officer Romero admitted that she inadvertently omitted necessary information because she didn't have, she told the judge, she didn't have her Miranda card. So she told him from memory the Miranda rights. Also, she was translating in Spanish for him. Here's what's so interesting. Um, He gets read those vague Miranda rights early on, and then... He takes the police, this is according, you know, to both the prosecutor, prosecutor and the police department gets, he takes the police to the cornfield, and then when her body is discovered, he has read his Miranda rights again, except this time he's read his Miranda rights properly Mm -hmm. from the card. So what the judge has said is anything that he said from the, from before that, when everything was fuzzy to when the absolute Miranda rights were written, that part, the part after that will be admitted. So it, it's, it's... If I'm a defense attorney, I'm going to, you know, obviously that's, you're going to be fighting that tooth and nail. and That's going to be a huge point of contention. Um, yeah. You know, that's obviously the best you've got since you uh, have some sort of uh, ostensible confession, physical evidence, the, the being led to it. I mean, what a headache. I'm sure the prosecutors are pulling their hair out on, on this as well, but uh, that obviously will be a huge linchpin in this. Yeah, you know, you think about it, it it comes down sometimes to these technicalities. But again, there is so much additional evidence that you can't, that is hard to dispute, such as the physical evidence. Why would her blood be in the trunk of his car? You yeah, know, I mean, we look again, I'm not an attorney, but the, the, the procedure here is, and I'm sure that the uh, prosecutor has prepared for this in, in advance, but, uh, you know, the worry would be that, Okay. Yes, he led he led you to the body, but absolutely, the jury cannot hear that detail um, if he led them to that under fall, uh, under a uh, mistaken belief that he was already under arrest or you know uh, whatever the confusion was that you know the fruit of the poisonous tree or whatever the the legal term is. Um, so that's potentially an issue. Like I say, we're gonna we're gonna find out more as the as the thing proceeds here. Again, 
it's one of these issues that, like you said, we may know more about this than potential jurors. Mm -hmm. uh, again, by design, uh, that may be uh, prejudicial information that's out there that uh, they're not aware of. We'll find out again, obviously, we're waiting to see more when, as this goes forward. Yeah, and one other thing that the defense is going to try and use in their defense is that unknown fingerprints were also found in the trunk of the car. So they're going to try and point the finger to an unknown sure. other. Sure. How strong that will be as far as the defense, we have no idea. Um, but definitely there's there's some weakness in the prosecution because police didn't follow procedures. And yeah, you're right. The prosecutors, nobody's happy about this part of it. So we'll we'll see how this goes. So members of the public and the media are not allowed in the courtroom. However, the judge has made it possible for everyone to be able to follow the case virtually because we still have COVID conditions. Mm -hmm. And we will absolutely follow this case without question because it's it's just one of those fascinating cases. And I really want to see how this works out with the whole Miranda issue and what parts of his confession can and can't be used. Now, um, Owen, oh, since you were so kind <laughs> to step in today and you're doing double duty with your comments, um, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, will you be able to post any of this on the trial or what kind of stuff can you do, you know, to update or will you be updating everyone on the case on your end? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll see as the as the days develop here. Uh, today's the first one, so we don't have a whole lot of information yet. Uh, apparently, the the prosecutors are uh, the latest uh, thing that I saw that they were talking about this morning was that they were discussing the the car itself and the admissions. So um, that has has been presented to the jury. We'll see how the day goes on. Um, yeah, we will be following. We'll be updating on this. Uh, this could last, you know, weeks. It could be a matter of hours. It could be a matter of days. Who knows? I mean, uh, uh, tune in for more. Uh, you, you can check us out on truecrimebaily.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube um, for updates. And, you know, we put everything we have out there. So uh, this is when this happened, it shocked a lot of people. It's uh, every parent's worst nightmare. It's every adult's worst nightmare that the, you know, you could be minding your own business, something like this happened to you. So um, huge interest in the case. We will pursue this uh, vigorously as possible. Okay. Thanks, Owen. So it's time for our comment section. These are the cases you all are talking about. And because our first case about um, baby CJ unfolded over a week's time. You all had some time to weigh in on that. So I have a feeling our comments and our observations are pretty much what other folks were seeing, especially with that news conference. Uh, indeed, we got a lot of comments on this one. Uh, in particular, we reported on the Caleb uh, Wisnan case last week. Um, a lot of our readers had some opinions. Haley S. said, you knew something wasn't right just by the press conference that they gave. It was so strange. I mean, within the first one minute of it, we'll make you say something iffy going on. Kara H. says, I saw their public plea and immediately said, give it a little bit. They'll be charged. They know where that baby is. And Denise E. said, I feel like the mom has to know more too. Ugh. Yeah. It's just so sad. 
it's the whole thing. It's such a sad case. Really again, sad. we'll we'll bring it as uh, we'll bring it to the to our readers and our viewers as as much as we can because uh, it's a shocking case and people want to know what happened here. And we have something from the lighter side. Uh, some of our viewers and readers may recall a Bengal tiger somehow got loose in a Houston neighborhood about a week and a half ago with video showing the big cat roaming a suburban street. Uh, a man escorted the tiger into his Jeep Cherokee and drove away as police arrived and officers lost him. Victor Cuevas was later arrested, but the tiger was not found for days. Well, the tiger has finally been found safe and sound and has been transferred to a wildlife facility in Texas. Before the capture, our readers had a lot of helpful advice on how to catch a tiger. <laughs> By the tail. <laughs> they weren't that specific. Jerry C. said, uh, have they tried running a can opener? Uh, uh, this is specific humor for cat owners out there, by the way. Uh, Ashley A. said, uh, leave large boxes in the middle of streets. Uh, I, it's been known to capture a few uh, house cats. Why not with a, with a tiger? Christian L. says, I don't know, man. If I ever get face-to-face -face with a tiger, I'm going to throw some hands. I'll get killed, but at least I'll go down fighting a tiger. Uh, Christian, uh, maybe rethink that, but uh, hopefully you didn't have to deal with that. It, it always amazes me, right? Because there's always going to be a crazy story. Remember, I think there was a tiger that was in a New York City apartment, like in a mm -hmm. small apartment right. years ago, and everyone was trying to figure out how could this massive thing be living in something like a two-bedroom apartment in a high-rise in New York? Right? You would hope it would be declawed at least. I know. And then there's always there's always a case, you know, this will be coming up in a few weeks or a few months. There's going to be a python in somebody's house or in the toilet bowl, right? There's always, there's always a that. boa I mean, constrictor. We had uh, no shortage of uh, Tiger King references in this uh, particular story as well. Um, you know, I don't know. Keeping tigers as pets, man, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, seems to be a thing. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I'm sure. wise thing. <laughs> and... My dog, Jackie, o, was barking uh, earlier in, in the podcast. I'm sure you all heard her, but like, wh what am I going to do to stop her? So she's just a chihuahua. Can you imagine if I had a tiger in here? This is insane. People are crazy. You no, know, I get it. They're pretty and they're fluffy. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want to cuddle with a tiger. I, I guess it seems like sort of a status thing to get or something. But, uh, you know, I like a dog. I like a cat. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree with you. Owen, thank you so much for it's joining us today it is a pleasure it's always fun to be reunited with you for more than just comments thanks, but Anna. thanks for stepping in we really appreciate it when you know when crimes happen you know people have to respond <laughs> we got some stuff to tell you every week so uh yeah and uh you can check us out on truecrimedaily.com like i said and, uh, uh, you can get our content on youtube and facebook and twitter and instagram check us out in those particular areas there and uh we've got content for you every day every day uh, excuse me every hour and every day mm -hmm, absolutely and you can always follow me on instagram and all other social media at anna g news anna with one n a little programming note, we've started um, a little series called My Favorite Case. All it is is, as I call it, it's a very snackable kind of podcast where we talk with so many of our friends from the world of crime, and they basically share what I would call the conversation you have over dinner. The, oh my God, let me tell you what happened. And these, you know, it's not necessarily always headline making, but it's always fun stories from the people who experience them. So uh, we've got a few of those out. 
So you may want to check those out. As always, you can find our content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, of course, on YouTube. And you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. And the newsletter is put together by the one and only Owen. (laughs) Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And what do we always say, Owen? Don't do crimes. (laughs) 